turn to Revelation 19 tonight. Revelation 19. And I, we deeply, at least I feel like we did, we deeply studied Revelation a couple of years ago. And those are still online, by the way. I encourage anybody that wasn't here during that time or maybe you uh, didn't get to hear all of those, go back and listen to those. It takes Revelation and we went, you know, uh, chapter by chapter and really pulled out all the main themes of the seven seven bowls of God's wrath and judgment, uh, all the different things that we talked about. But tonight I really felt strongly. I've been in Matthew 24, which in Matthew 24 is the disciples coming to Jesus and they're wondering when the end's going to come. Uh, Jesus had prophesied and told them that all these stones will be you know, down on each other, which he was prophesying and letting them know that just in a few years... Um, 70 AD, so just a few, just a few decades after Jesus ascended, um, his prophecy came true. And Jesus came as a prophet. He lives now as an intercessor, so he has a priestly role. But what we're going to look at tonight in, in Revelation 19 are the last gasps of the enemy's kingdom. Satan's kingdom on earth is going to be dealt with. It already has been, and that's important to understand when you talk about the end times. And it, 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 it's a subject that we should always, and I, I think as a pastor, I'll always be teaching on these things till the Lord returns. Um, but especially when you see what's going on in the world now, I don't know that this is a culmination and we're getting right at the doorstep of Jesus' return. Certainly could be possible. One thing that I'm struck with is how quickly things change, right? Yes. You can see the quickness of, I mean, nobody knew what was going to happen October 7th, 8th, whatever it was, when Hamas uh, raided into Israel and did the unspeakable. I, I don't care what your theology is tonight. That's demonic. Okay? I'm not even, when, when I stand up here and say that I'm in defense of Israel, it's not just a theological statement. It's a common sense statement to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't have to be a, a Ph.D. or a doctorate and an MDiv in eschatology, which is a study of the end times, to look at that and say, what amazes me is a lot of people can't discern the demonic forces that are behind the continual coming against the Jewish people. And I've had questions, and I've actually had a few you know, little minor little attacks um, just based on me saying that. And so I'm going to say it again, Okay. I do not hold the replacement theology, which replacement theology is that the church replace Israel. Here's what I believe and understand about God theologically, and I've studied this deeply, is that God does not break his promises. He does not. He's not a promise-breaking God. God will fulfill his promises to the people of Israel. Okay? And so if you wonder where this man stands, this man falls very strongly on the side of when I witness something evil and demonic, I'm on the side of the people that got the evil and demonic stuff done to them. Is it, can I make it any simpler to that, than that? Okay. So quit your emails. Okay. <laughs> but what you see here in Revelation 19, and this is why I landed here, I've been reading Matthew 24 uh, over and over, probably at least 12, 13 times, just studying it in my own private devotional time. And we'll talk a little bit about Matthew 24. But here's the question I came to, and this is what I want to talk about tonight, is his disciples come to him, and they ask natural questions that we all wonder. Jesus, what are the signs of the times? What's going to be going on when you return? When are you going to return? 
uh, what, and these different questions that they ask. But I have a deeper question, and this is where I've been leading you guys, hopefully for years, but especially months now. I think the best question we can ask when we study Scripture is why. Why is Jesus coming back? What is it he's coming to institute? Because I believe if you understand the why, you get to a very deep place in God to where you don't just look at things and, and study them or, or see the condition of the world around you and wonder how and why did this get the way that it is. When we understand the why, and John talks about this when he's writing to the church. I think it's in maybe Second John. Forgive me for not looking it up before, but it's just coming to my mind right now. John addresses the, the little children in Christ, and he says, you desire pure milk of the word. Then he addresses adolescents, those who are starting to grow, and he says, hey, keep growing because you've learned how to overcome the evil one. There's, there's a place of growth where you, you know the devil's designs, you know what he's trying to do, and God helps you overcome what he's trying to, to, to hinder you with. And ultimately he says, and you, the mature the, the, the age, the ones who have walked with God for a long time. He says this something very interesting, at least to me. He says, you have known him who is from the beginning. And Isaiah 46, don't turn there, Isaiah 46, verse 10, it says, de- de- declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. What you see going on in the world is God's sovereign will is going to come to pass. And you can pray a certain way and pray into God's permissive will and God, you know, can rearrange things and do things in your personal life. But when you're praying, especially in the end times, there's God's sovereign will and there is nobody on earth that's going to change what he's declared and decided. But it should also comfort us. And one part of Matthew 24 that really stuck out to me, and I think it's a word for Christians all across the globe, is when Jesus begins to explain what is going to happen, and then we understand John taught and said many antichrists have already gone out into the world. The antichrist is a spirit, okay? That doesn't mean that we can look in Revelation and understand that there will be a person that rises up in the end times that is the embodiment of pure evil. So the, the, the world's religious systems, the world's economic political systems... And then, of course, are all controlled by this end-time Antichrist. And understanding that just kind of helps us that that Antichrist spirit has raised its ugly head all throughout history. And the reason you see history repeating yourself, church, is because of sin, right? Right. This should not shock and surprise us because there is something called sin. There is a sin nature in every single one of us. And if you've not been born again by the Spirit of God... Not only can you not really see what's going on in the world, you actually will be deceived into following somebody that looks like a person of peace in the end times. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, even the elect might be deceived by, hey, there's the Messiah. He's saying, don't go out. But the one thing I want to encourage you with and to understand that God declares the beginning, the end from the beginning is God is not nervous on his throne tonight. He's... God is on the throne, and he ain't nervous. Let me just put a little country to it, get you, get you folks to maybe catch it a little bit better. But if he declares the end from the beginning, that also relates into our personal lives of understanding that God is sovereign. And that should comfort us tonight, because Jesus said to his disciples when they come with all these questions in Matthew 24, 
Important to understand in Matthew, Matthew 24 also, Jesus is answering two different questions. He's answering their question of when is Jerusalem going to be destroyed by the Roman authorities. That's what ended up happening in 70 AD. Had no student, I mean, they literally destroyed Jerusalem. But think about this. This, is, this should just, to me, it just boggles and blows my mind. For all intents and purposes, the Jewish people should just be a footnote in history. (laughs) 70 AD, they were destroyed and dispersed. Of course, Jews always continued to live there all throughout the thousands of years, hundreds of years and 2,000 years. But in 1948, Israel became a nation again, which was another sign Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 that you can look to the fig tree and begin to discern, okay, the fig, the leaves is coming out, so the fruit's going to be along. Jesus told us very clearly that we wouldn't know the day or the hour that he would come, but we could look and see the conditions in which he would come. And, and he told them very plainly. He starts to tell them there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be kingdom against kingdom, which the word and verbiage there is ethnicity against ethnicity. What are we seeing take place right before our very eyes, right? So all these things that Jesus talked about, he said something very important. This is what I want to begin with tonight before we jump into these four things in Revelation 19. Because when I'm asking the question, God, not when and how and those type of things, or, or you know, what's the mark of the beast going to be and how can we avoid that? Listen, if you're walking in the spirit, you're going to recognize what's really going on. Okay, I promise you that. That's why I've been encouraging you for years, but especially over the last few months, you need to be as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Every single one of us. This is not a time to be playing. It never is, okay? It never is. I think especially when you see how quickly things can begin to shift and change, and when you see a peace accord made there in the Middle East of what I believe to be four particular countries, including Israel, and then eventually because of jealousy of the, 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 jealousy of, of, of the, the blessing and everything that's happening at that time, there will be another ten-nation block and more come and gather and come against Israel. And this is the Armageddon that we're going to talk about tonight. This is, the, this is the last battle. But don't look at it just from a natural standpoint. Look at it from a standpoint of the Spirit. We welcome the judgment of our adversary, Satan. because he. And remember, he has already been judged, okay, at the cross. The Bible says very clearly he, he's already been judged. He's, he's already been dealt with and put under the feet of the authority, the church, here on earth, okay? But what we see happening in the world is he's continued to allow to, to deceive and to get up in the middle of countries and begin to incite people demonically, in my opinion, to attack the people of God. And those things are going to increase. But Jesus said very plainly, he said, don't panic. Don't panic. Don't lose your head. Don't get frustrated or fearful or upset about what you begin to see. Because Revelation gives us the last gasps of Satan's kingdom that is finally going to be dealt with by the physical return of Jesus Christ with his people. And he's going to be riding a white horse, y'all. Listen, I don't, I don't understand all that. I don't understand necessarily the horse thing. But when you read the Bible through uh, more than a couple of times, you begin to pick up that when people's eyes are open to the Spirit, there's always horses and chariots and angel armies, right? And which means it's not a, it's not a, it's it's a supernatural thing. That but they're literally real physical horses in the heavenly realm. That's what the Bible teaches, and we will be given a glorified body. 
which is amazing. We'll be able to interact. But, but let, me, let me give away the end right here. I'm going to declare the end from the very beginning, okay? okay? What God had always intended, and this is so important for us to understand from the very beginning. So when God says he declares the end from the beginning, it means he started with the end in mind of the marriage of heaven and earth. The marriage of the spiritual and the natural. You cannot say and look around at the world and its created order and the beauty of it and everything else. Dana Sarver said it probably four or five times while we were driving around and going to eat and taking her back to the airport. And I thought, that's an interesting thought. She, she said, I think it was the sun was setting or something, and myself and Leah and her assistant, Tina, and, and, my, and we were all riding in the car. And I'm like, man, look at that sunset that's about to happen. And she said, yeah. And she said... It's veiled. She said there's a veil over everything that's going to be removed. We have no idea what God has in store. I don't even understand it all. I just know that when God says that we're going to have a glorified and it will be a real physical body, you say, what's our glorified body going to look like? What are they going to uh, be like? It's going to be like Jesus after he resurrected. Because when Jesus began to breathe again on that third day, that instituted the coming of the kingdom of God. We live in that tension, and this is difficult, but if you understand it, you can see it all around you all the time. We live in the tension of the already already done, but not yet fully come on the earth kingdom of God, which means we are kingdom people. The moment that you believed in Jesus and you were born again, you got translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of Christ. It's already happened. It's already a truth spiritually that you have been rescued from this kingdom and the world we operate in and the people we come across on a regular basis, probably it's your workplace, probably more people don't believe in Jesus than do. But understand, you are a kingdom person. You operate in the kingdom. We can operate by the principles of the kingdom. But what Revelation is talking about here is Jesus comes back and he deals with finally the, the enemies of God. And that's something that we should rejoice, celebrate, and look forward to. Amen? Because Jesus is going to come and he's going to set everything straight. Amen? And I don't know what our glorified bodies will look like. I've asked to look like the rock is what I personally <laughs> just asked the Lord. If I could maybe, you know, you can't see me. It says we'll be known in heaven as we were known on earth. And I'm like, Lord, I'd really like some big muscles when I get to the other side. But I think we could all kind of come to an agreement tonight before I delve deep into this. We're in the 11th hour of human history. There's no question. That's what I want you to know from your pastor who does his best to listen to the voice of the Spirit, to hear what God is saying. And we need to keep up with with current times and the things going on. What I want to encourage you, though, and I said this a couple weeks ago, is there's a lot of weird stuff out there, okay? And you guys stumble across the YouTube channel with six followers and you've gotten so deep down that rabbit hole you're like i watched 26 hours of this one dude on youtube and i i know who the antichrist is i know when jesus has come quit it okay that doesn't mean that we can't keep up on but if you're more concerned and worried about what the devil is doing than god on the move you're going to live a, a life on earth that isn't completely totally free of just all the cares and the worries and the anxieties And we can be an example in the world we're living in of what it means to live at peace with God. And to look forward to his coming. Because church, he is our heavenly bridegroom. 
He's the one that's coming back for a bribe without spot or wrinkle. So here in Revelation 19, the centerpiece, listen to this if you're taking notes. The centerpiece of God's eternal purpose is for Jesus to come back to fully establish his kingdom rule over all the earth as he joins the heavenly and earthly realms together. This is the interpretive key to understanding the end times. Without the revelation, confusion is inevitable. Ephesians 1, verses 9 through 10 says, He has made known to us the mystery, the hidden plan of his will, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. So here in chapter 9, there's a word that's going to be used over and over again, and it's, it's a word that I absolutely love, and it's hallelujah. Because heaven, the, the bowls have been uh, poured out, the wrath of God, all these things have happened up to this point in 19. And then you see a great worship service erupt in heaven where they're shouting hallelujah because they have an understanding that God's kingdom is getting ready to manifest on the earth. And there will be a literal, a literal, this is my interpretation of Scripture. I know other people differ, and what I've found is I enjoy talking to people that differ in their opinions and questions from me. I don't, I don't get upset by that. I love to, to hear other people's views and opinions, but it is my view, according to Scripture, that that is a literal thousand-year reign of King Jesus. He gathers all of the kings and the generals and all the people into one place, one tiny place in the Middle East called Jerusalem. And all these armies are marching in, and it says Jesus returns with us on horses, white horses, and we're riding through. I said it a few weeks ago. I believe God is very organic. When you read these things, we try to kind of attach a spiritual. Well, that's spiritual. It'll be riding in the spirit. Literally, literally, Jesus is coming back to rule and reign on earth. A literal thousand-year reign. Now, again, I ask the question, okay, God, why? Because God declared the end from the beginning. His plan was always to have the marriage of heaven and earth. We have a, we have a theology that has been really force-fed into the people of God that, well, the earth doesn't matter. God's just going to just whack it with a big hand and it's going to be done with and not. The earth is incredibly important. It's God's creation. It's, 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 it, and, it, and God created it with his people. We gave over authority of this earth over to Satan and his angelic beings in the spiritual realm when we did what? We sinned against God. We ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate of that tree. He protected them from the tree of life because we view death as this horrible thing. It is an enemy that will be conquered by Jesus at the end of the thousand-year reign. And it, 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 it makes just smoke come out of my ears sometimes to think about a thousand-year literal reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. And there will be people who are fooled into following Satan again at the end of that thousand years. Gog and Magog. Those things I don't completely, totally understand, but I do understand one thing. It, it shows, listen to me tonight, it shows the absolute hideousness of our sin nature do you understand what i'm saying the only thing good about jason hanks tonight is jesus christ you understand the only thing that i can pin my hope in and and all of my all of my faith and hope is in the blood of jesus 
And when he rose again, he rose as the firstborn over all creation. We just read that God's plan is to sum and bring everything, all things. There was nothing that was created apart from Jesus Christ. All things were created in him, by him, and for him. So God is summing up and bringing together, and he's going to literally show what the rule of God. Why, why is that, you might ask? Why, why would God come and rule and reign on earth? Well, we've been praying it for 2,000 years. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you pray that prayer, you're inviting the rule of God that is not completely manifested yet, but will in that thousand-year reign of Jesus. And I began to think about that and kind of ask some of these questions, so that's what we'll look at tonight. Look at, look at Revelation 19. And this word hallelujah just jumped off the page of me. And uh, so here's, the, here's event one, if you're taking notes. I'm going to look at four events from this uh, chapter 19 because you ask the question why. In Matthew 24, they're saying, okay, okay, Lord, when, how, what's, what are the conditions going to be? What's going to be going on? How will we know the signs of the times of when you're coming? Jesus is telling them these things will begin to happen, but the end is not yet. He's telling them about the destruction of Jerusalem. But he's also in there talking about the end of the age. So there's two things being answered in Matthew 24. My question is, I've read this many times over the last couple of weeks, Lord, why? What's your ultimate goal? What's your ultimate plan? Because if I understand the why of something, I understand the heart behind it. Okay? I can come and tell you, Steve, I want you to do such and such. And you are a great guy. You'd be like, yes, Pastor, I'll take care of that. But there's something deeper there that if you know why I'm asking you to do that, then we have a deeper relationship than just, God, what's going to happen, okay? So look at this tonight, uh, Revelation 19, verses 1 through 10. After this, I heard, that after this is the, 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 the wrath of God's poured out, all these things have happened. And after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on by her blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, for his bride has made herself ready." Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And at this I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. So... What is happening here is also explained in Ephesians chapter 5. But number one tonight, what we see as an event here in the scripture is the marriage supper of the Lamb. The wedding supper of the Lamb. Isn't that amazing? And the Lamb is Jesus and the groom 
the, the groom is Jesus, rather, and the bride is his bride, the church, the called, the elect, those who have been called out of, out of darkness into his glorious light, those who have responded to the invitation and the declaration of the gospel that you don't have to live the way that you live anymore. You can live according to God's will and law with his spirit living inside of you. But how many are looking forward to just some good marriage supper of the Lamb? That is something that should encourage us in seasons where we see the world just definitely heading in the wrong direction. Uh, I don't believe that that doesn't mean that God isn't moving too, because if you look around, God's never going to be outdone by the enemy. Come on. He's not. He's not. So what do we see here? The bride is prepared. Everybody say prepared. prepared. Look, it takes a long time for a bride to be prepared, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, us dudes, 30 minutes, put, throw the tux on, get me at the altar, I'm ready. But, but females start planning their wedding, I think, at five years old. At least my daughter did, which absolutely terrifies us, man. We went to a family wedding up in Ohio back in August, and I just kept whispering her to her, get this out of your head, get this out of your head, get this out of your head. Because I could see the eyes get big at some parts of the wedding and some of the things you know, were going on, and I'm like, this is not going to be you unless I win the lottery or something, okay? So... There, and I've never run across a, a, a wedding magazine called Groom. Never seen it. It's always Bride, right? Yeah. So the wedding of the Lamb and the Bride, why? Let's get practical. The wedding happens the same reason any wedding happens, because somebody loves somebody else, right? Don't miss that part of it. God's love, Jesus' love for his bride is so intense that he literally said at the, at the Passover, at the, at the Last Supper, he said, I won't partake of this until we f- it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God, which means the wedding supper of the Lamb, which means we'll all join together as the people of God, and we will uh, enjoy that. The second thing is the bride is honored. In verse 8 it says, Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So what do we do when a bride comes into a room at a wedding uh, we stand up. You wouldn't believe, the, the, if you really look at it and done many weddings like I have, I've always been just blessed and amazed at all the pictures of covenant that are in our wedding ceremonies. Because what do you have? You have a cut down the middle. You have witnesses for the groom on one side, witnesses for the bride on the other. God cuts a covenant. In the Old Testament, he'd cut a covenant and two people would walk through the middle of it. So as they stand, what they're, what they're standing to do is in honor of the bride. And it is, isn't it a beautiful picture in Revelation 19 that not only is God preparing a wedding feast, but he's actually preparing what we will wear at the wedding feast. Because i got news for you tonight. If you think that you can buy a garment that is, clo- that is, that is fine and linen and pure and clean, you can. It says it was given to her. But I will say this, spiritually speaking, and in a very practical way of things you can read in Revelation that can help you in your everyday life, is that I believe with all my heart that when God says that he is going to come for a bride without spot or wrinkle, that means a lot. But I think one thing that it definitely means for us practically is, is any time that we as the bride of Christ, whether corporately or individually, that we make decisions to honor God's kingdom and to honor his word and to do what he says to do, guess what? The bride just got a little bit brighter. The bride just got a little bit 
a little bit more in love with Jesus. Jesus a little bit more in love with her because there's what it's called is a time of preparation, the wedding language of the Bible. So what does that mean? It means that anytime you make a decision to do something for somebody that nobody else cares about and loves, guess what? The bride just got a little bit more beautiful. Anytime that you choose to forgive somebody that seems unforgivable, guess what? The bride just got a little bit more beautiful. And Jesus is coming back for a beautiful bride because I think the church will finally catch on to the fact that the things we do cannot get you into heaven. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works lest any man should boast, the Bible tells us. But I can tell you this, what you do matters Because the beauty of God's bride matters. And when we make decisions based upon not our feelings or not what is expedient for us, but we make them on God's principles, we get more beautiful and beautiful and beautiful. So if you make those decisions, when you're walking out through this week and you make a decision to honor God and to do what he's telling you to do in the moment, and you do that over a consistent period of time, not just days, not just months, but years and years and years, guess what? You are being clothed in a robe. Why do I say that? Because even at the end of the day, the decision to make that honors God, yes, and, and will keep you safe from a lot of junk, but it, it also is him working on the inside of you to do the good deeds. Amen? It's all Him. So in the Scripture there, when the bride comes in, you can see an honoring. And we do that in wedding services because we stand up to honor the bride that's coming down the aisle. I want to show you there in, in Revelation 19, what you begin to see is all of heaven starts to come to attention. The angels begin to stand up. The, God Himself and Jesus Christ will stand up because there's an honoring of the bride. You need to know tonight that God honors his people. He honors his bride. And what does that make me want to do? Honor him more. Love him more. Because the bride becomes a little bit more beautiful and a little bit more prepared. So the first event we see there is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm looking forward to that. I hope there's some... We'll eat. Amen? Jesus ate when he had a resurrected body. A lot of practical things that we don't fully understand. I don't anyway. But it's really cool to think. And... To also kind of get a picture of this, because I kind of get the feeling that we as American Christians are probably going to be seated by some brothers and sisters that went through a lot in their time on earth, right? And they look over at us and they're like, well, what'd you, what'd you suffer for the gospel? Well, my boss one time when I was praying at lunch said, well, what are you, a Christian? And they're like, oh, really? Well, what happened to you? Well, I was strung up by my legs and tortured for 24. You know what I'm saying? At the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're all going to be together, and Jesus is going to be the center of attention because he's the groom. Number two, what we see there, in there, and this relates to Matthew 24, when are you going to come? Revelation 19 is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The whole world will see Jesus. The whole world, it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. These people that think they run and rule the world aren't doing anything but being used by Satan and his demons. And God's going to come back and set everything right. Why is he coming? Again, why? The why question. He's coming according to Revelation to literally the wine press of God's wrath. Because we love Christmas time, and Christmas is like one of my favorite times of year. I got a confession to make to everybody in here. I started listening to Christmas music today. God forgive me. I promised myself until after Thanksgiving, but I stumbled on it and turned it up, and I just sang it all day. So it's going to be in there the rest of the time. But at this time of year, we 
love to focus on Jesus coming as the Prince of Peace, right? Jesus coming as the swaddled baby. Jesus coming. And I've been talking about this a lot lately. It's good to know the, the, the grace and love, but also the severity in who we're dealing with. Because make no mistake about it, Revelation is very clear. The kings of the earth and the ones who hate God's people and have always hated God and always come against God being used by the enemy are all gathered in one place. And, honey, it's not going to be Jesus in a manger anymore. It's going to be Jesus on a horse with crowns on his head, fire in his eyes, feet like brass. And he's coming to do one thing. According to Revelation, he's coming to destroy the enemies of God. He's coming to deal with. With the enemy. So the second coming of Jesus, and it's, a, it's an incredible picture of, of the Lord. He's coming to judge the kings of the earth. In Revelation 19, uh, 19, it says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And, and Isaiah talks about this, and it doesn't, the connotation there isn't like dipped, like you put your hand on it, literally dipped in blood. We have a king that's coming back, and I said it a couple weeks ago because I was listening to an A.A. Allen sermon that I ran across, and the name of his sermon is God is a Killer. God is a, listen, he's coming to, this is, this is Jesus' judgment. He's going to, as a, literally a wine press. He's going to deal with the enemies. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. He himself treads the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. He has on his robe a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So in verse 14 it says, The armies of heaven, which are his his raptured saints, come back with him. And it says on there, He is faithful and true, flames of fire, and on his head are all the crowns. So what we see beginning to happen is everything is beginning to be summed up in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says also in Revelation that there's a name that only he understands. That's a mystery to me, but it's interesting. And his title is the Word of God. He is the living Word of God. So every time you even open that Bible, listen, you're coming to a living Word because you're coming to a living person, Jesus Christ. Amen? You have the white horse. You have all these things. I'm going to skip down just a little bit. And uh, we are familiar with the, the Jesus of Christmas, right? And the, the Prince of Peace and those kind of things. But what we see in Revelation and what is coming maybe sooner rather than later is the final war, Armageddon, where all the armies of the world come together and they're coming against Jerusalem. They're coming against the people of God and Jesus comes to put it back right. Because we say this. We say, well, I, I like the Jesus of Christmas more than the Jesus of Armageddon. It's not two different gods. You guys understand that, right? I think a lot of people in the state are like, well, how could the God of peace and justice and the government upon his shoulders? Listen, he's got to deal with this evil. And Jesus will literally set up a thousand-year reign of Christ. So, listen, you go from wedding to war. You go from bride to battle. Evil is not defeated and eliminated at the, at the coming of Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation 20. Just turn over one more page. We'll read these verses, and i got a few more comments, and we'll, we'll pray and close tonight. The main thing that I want you guys to get out of this teaching, because it's just been on my heart of current events, and we should uh, be aware of what's going on in the world. We just shouldn't be scared of what's going on in the world. 
If you have loved ones that aren't saved, now's the time to, to witness to them. Now's the time to talk to them. Now's the time. It always is. Because tomorrow's not promised to anybody, right? But look at, look at Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So two resurrections we see here. And if you're in the first one, you are blessed and you are holy, the Bible says, which means what? You don't want to be in the second resurrection. You don't want to be in that one. So what is this talking about? It's talking about, thirdly, the millennial reign of Christ. Millennial, it just simply means a thousand years. And do you see how the Antichrist spirit has always tried to to steal from what God had said would happen at the end? Mm -hmm. I mean, what did Hitler try to set up? A thousand year Reich, right? Right. You see it all throughout history. Why does history repeat itself? Because there's sin. sin. Sin always repeats itself. You just see it all the time. But can you just imagine a world that Jesus governs? <laughs> Jesus will be the king. He will sit on David's throne for eternity, and he will have a thousand-year reign of Christ. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So everyone is resurrected at the end. And in that thousand-year reign, and we don't fully comprehend and understand this so much, but Satan is chained and bound. At the end of that thousand years, he's let out. And what it's talking about is two resurrections. And you want to be in the first resurrection, amen? If you're in the first resurrection, it means your sins have been washed away by Jesus. Everybody is going to be resurrected, okay? Everyone. Everyone's going to be resurrected. There's two judgments. Cease. There's the judgment seat of Christ by which believers will be judged. And then at the end of the thousand years, when Satan's allowed out to deceive, if he can, uh, people, then the second, and the second judgment is called the great white throne judgment. It's where it says that everybody's there and the books are opened. And there's two books. There's a book of everything you've ever said, thought, or did why you were on this earth. And the look, the second book is something called the Lamb's Book of Life. In church, the, the, the stack of books where if you desire, you could stand at the great white throne judgment and have that book opened. And guess what, guess what that, that throne judgment requires? Perfection, right? Who's the only perfect one that came and lived and paid for our sins? Jesus. So the Lamb's Book of Life is the free gift of salvation that we receive. 
And we often think of death as the great leveler of humankind. I want to tell you something spiritually that you need to understand. When you gave your life to Christ and you were born again, you've already passed from death to life. It's, it's already happened. It's, you've already come from death into life. We will not taste death as believers. We will not experience death as believers. People who died outside of Christ, those who died without putting their faith in him and having their sins washed away, will die outside of Christ. They will be resurrected at the end of the thousand years, and it says that they will be judged according to what is in the books. So don't miss the main point here. We are going to be bodily resurrected, and we are going to reign with Jesus. And why a millennial kingdom? Number one, and then real quick, number one, why a millennial kingdom? Why, why is that? Number one, it's so God can fill all of his promises. A millennial kingdom, so God can fulfill the promises, promises that he's made to his people. Number two, so God can show the real and terrible nature of sin. So you have a thousand years of peace and blessing, and then Satan is let free, and there will be some who choose to follow him, which, again, is just mind-boggling to me, but it's in the Scripture. But it happens. So you say, well, why in the world, why? Why let him free? And I believe that God is just simply trying to bring a final end to everything with one very simple point of history, that we have a fallen nature. I believe he's let out. Thousand-year reign of Christ, peace, blessings, the, the rule of God, heaven and earth coming together. And the beauty of the end of that thousand years is you have the great white throne judgment. It says the last enemy that's going to be defeated all the way at the end of the thousand-year reign is death. That's the last enemy that will be done away with. And, it, and then he, he ends Revelation with, and behold, a new heavens and a new earth. There's a lot of speculation that God going to do away with this one. Is, he, is it a renovation, rehabilitation? It's my thought that it's a renovation. The thousand-year reigns, there will be people farming. There will be things going on. There will be babies born. There will be all those things happening in the thousand-year reign of Christ. And what that means in a practical sense for everybody in this room that's a believer is what you do here matters more than you could ever imagine. In Matthew 24, at the end, he begins to tell him. he says, well... The kingdom of heaven is a lot like a, a, you know, a master, an, an owner of land that went away for a long time. And it says the ones who were left behind to take care of his property and, and everything that he had entrusted to them, they began to say to themselves, man, the master's taken a really long time. I bet he's not coming back. So they began to, to act in evil ways because they thought there was a delay in the master's return. Jesus ends Matthew 24 with beginning to explain that the reason that everything matters so much now is because when you do stand before Christ, you won't be judged based upon your sins. It's not a heaven and hell thing. You've already passed from death to life. You've already gone from the, the enemy's camp and the enemy's kingdom to God's kingdom. That's already happened in a spiritual way. We will receive resurrected bodies when he calls us up out of the grave. So you have resurrection. You have the thousand-year reign of Christ. At the end of that thousand years, the enemy is finally dealt with, and he's tossed into the lake burning with fire forever and ever and ever. The prophet and the uh, what was it? the prophet and somebody else gets thrown in at the beginning. Satan is finally dealt with at the end. He's chained up, but he's let loose. But why it matters is because the things that you do now 
the way that you live your life now isn't just uh, simple obedience to God and his way is the best and his principles are the best. That's all true. But it literally shows us through the parables of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus continually that what you do matters because if you're faithful in the little, you will be literally, he says, you'll be made ruler over much. Where is that ruling? It's in the thousand year reign of Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to be up front. I do. I want to be right there. I want to, I want to be faithful in what he gives me to do now because I, and there's nothing wrong with this. Let me tell you straight up as the people of God, there is nothing wrong with living for his rewards. He said very plainly, he said, don't store up treasure on earth where moth and rust and everything gets destroyed and store up treasures for he- in heaven. And in Revelation, we talked about it Sunday. In Revelation, every time that, that he would give, a, 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 he would compliment them, and then he would rebuke them, and then he would he would console them a little bit and give them a, a he would tell them what to do. And every single church that he wrote to, the seven churches at that time, the main churches, the seven churches at the end, he always talked about, and I will reward you. Listen, the reason that one of the reasons that I stay faithful to God and keep at the very forefront of my heart and mind every single day are the things that I do here in raising my family in a godly way, of being faithful to pastor the flock that God gave me, the things that God's given you to do, the ministry he's called you to, to the people at work and the things that you do. And even a simple way, we would be amazed. You will be amazed at how God is keeping score. And not only does it make a difference when we go up to the park up here and just love on some people, one of them stopped by today and picked up a box of food and a turkey that we met up there. You know what? They will not forget that. And we made very clear that this was not us doing it. It's our Heavenly Father loving on them through us because we're the bride of Christ. But, but I don't do it for the reward. But oftentimes I stop and think to myself, Lord, if I just keep on serving you and and loving you and being faithful to the small things that you give me to do, and they are small in the grand scheme of things, then when I finally stand before him, we have the understanding that whatever is built on his word and done with a pure heart, you'll, you'll know you're growing in Christ when you start asking yourself a simple question. Why did I do that? You want to go deep in God, start asking him about the motivations of your heart. Because most of the stuff I've done thought it was for him. It was really selfishly for me. I'm just telling you me. And when you start to purify motives, then those things I did out of just a pure heart, I've forgiven somebody that has absolutely trashed me, and I know they hate me, and there's absolutely zero reason for it, but I love and forgive you. Guess what? You've just put a reward in heaven. You have. You go out of your way to help your neighbor. You go out of your way to do something in a practical way. Everything that I've talked about tonight is just to get you to back up and kind of say that we will stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. And another thing that we forget, and it's important to understand, is you're not going to have anybody else with you. It's going to be you, and it's going to be him. That's sobering to think about. But that's going to be at the beginning, and at the end, there's the great white throne judgment, which reading things like this and understanding things like this that are coming literally in the future, it helps me witness to people more. It helps me to make sure people know that there's a God who loves them, and it's a God who extends his grace and favor, and that's why I don't adhere to the theology that, well, God elected some, and he he reserved some for judgment. No, 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 no. 
Listen, everybody you meet, God loves and wants to see saved. Okay? Everybody you meet. And that's why I, as a common sense, and I'll end with this. This is why me as just a common sense person who can hopefully critically think about the things I see happening around me. I do not rejoice over people dying on Israel's side of the fence, and I do not rejoice at people dying on the Palestinian side of the fence. Why? Because it breaks God's heart. It does. Don't think anything else. But I'm also a common sense person, right? And can see where the enemy is, is, is taking up taking an entire religion, which is Islam. And Islam's goal is to conquer the whole world and make it submit. If you don't think the enemy is behind that religion, I got news for you, okay? But I know who the Jews worship. And listen to me. I've had, to, I've had been asked this question. It's like, well, are you saying the Jews are saying that the Jews need to believe in Jesus as the Messiah? The Bible teaches. But we're Gentiles that are grafted in to the root of Israel, to the root of the Jews. So I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I think that a lot of deception that's going to happen in the last days, can I give you my opinion for two minutes and then we'll pray? A lot of the deception, I think a lot of the end time stuff, has far more to do with Jews and Israel than what we can imagine. Here's my point. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a neutral ground in the time we're living in to say, well, they've been fighting for thousands of years. I'm just going to sit back in my recliner, turn it to football, and let them fight. You're seeing you're seeing a demonic thing when you turn on the news and there's people right here in this country that are supporting genocide. I'm, a, I'm too much of a student of history, and I've asked my, because I'm a, I'm a huge World War II buff. Stand with me, and I'll close. I'm a huge World War II buff, and so I've watched all the stuff, and I've read the books. Stephen Ambrose read all of his stuff. I just, I just like that. Watched Band of Brothers, like, way too many times, you know, just weirdly, weirdly watched. You know. But I always think back, and I read people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who made a decision not to go along, listen to me, in Germany... The church went along with what Hitler was telling them to do. They turned a blind eye. You mean why they're in there singing Amazing Grace? They couldn't hear trains rolling by full of Jewish people? And I often often say to myself, well, what would I do in that situation? I'm just telling you for this man tonight as a pastor of the church, feel free to disagree. I don't think you need to get angry or upset about it. But feel free to disagree. It is imperative that we choose the side that God's on. And that was asked to me. Is, well, God doesn't choose sides, and I'm a firm believer in that. We choose his side. Okay? I think a lot of persecution that is going to happen in the, in the years ahead is going to be because of people's support of the Jewish people. Okay? That's my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. Here in Revelation, we understand that we have an enemy that is not people. It's Satan. And Satan was given authority. Jesus stripped him of that authority. And it says in Revelation that, that the dragon has come down with great wrath because he knows his days are short. And I think some of the demonic stuff that you turn on the news and see people burning cities and all this stuff that's going on right here in front of us, those are not just political things, church. Those are spiritual things that are happening in front of our eyes. Because people have chosen a side and they say, I'm going to go the way of rebellion. I'm going to go the way of the enemy and I'm going to stand on his side. So the line will be very clear in the future. That's why I don't teach a whole lot on like the mark of the beast and things like that. 
God is not going to let you, in my opinion, he's not going to let you fall into something just blindly, okay? You're going to have to make a conscious decision. I am going with the enemy. I'm going with the enemies of God. And I'm going to stand on that side. And that will be for us to step back and understand what God has already told us is going to happen. Because he said in Matthew 24, don't panic. These things must come to to pass. And then the end. What's the end? It's, It's us enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb with Jesus. We are his bride. Then Jesus returns, the sky splits, Jesus comes back on a white horse with his people, and we ride into Jerusalem. Again, God is very organic. When you read those things, I don't take them just symbolically. A lot of Revelation is symbolic, a lot of it. Don't take that symbolically. I don't. We literally will come back with him. Jesus will judge the kings of the earth, and he will set up his heavenly kingdom where the marriage of heaven and earth is this. It is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and we miss this all the time. It comes down out of heaven, and it rests above Jerusalem on earth. And there's a corridor of glory where Jesus will reign from the new Jerusalem for a thousand years. Now, when it says in the Bible of scriptures about neither the fornicator or the liar or the adulterer or the sorcerer shall have any part in the kingdom of of God in the kingdom of heaven, we have a better understanding of what's being talked about there because his rule and reign will be from the new Jerusalem that literally in Revelation gives very finite details of what that's like. Y'all, as a believer, you will be there with a glorified body getting instructions from your king. And look, some of you live a life that's just like, ah, if I just barely make it in, honey, you want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. You want to be in that number because the Lord is, He's the vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And in Revelation, it's very clear, very clear. I think a lot of the pestilence that's talked about in the book of Revelation are just because of the wars and the things that are going on at that time. You're literally talking about millions of bodies piling up. You're talking about the Antichrist on a block of nations that will come down. The, the last battle does not happen in Armageddon. Read it. The last battle, the, all, the, all those armies gather in the, in the, uh, in the valley of Megiddo. Thank you. And they gather there, and then they begin to move and march on Jerusalem. And that's when Jesus comes back and says, enough. And he deals with it. Amen? So in this time that we're living in, Live a life that looks around you continually and looks for ways that you can bless people and you can serve people and you can do things for people that bring them closer to the kingdom and not push them away. Amen? Because it does matter that we bring everybody we can with us, that we get everybody into the ark as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were married and given in marriage. And we all have the natural processes of life. We'll sleep tonight. We'll get up. Everybody will go to work in the morning. There's those natural processes of life. But what Jesus is continually speaking to his bride and his people, get prepared and be pure. Okay? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of your word that we can study what you have already declared, the end from the beginning. Lord, you know all things. All things are in your hand. All things will be summed up in Christ Jesus. Lord, tonight, we are people of the kingdom now. 
We are, we are your agents and those who operate in kingdom principles now. So, Father, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Lord, at the very end of Revelation, Father, it says in the spirit and the bride, say come. Spirit of God, you are here in such a powerful way tonight. And, Lord, we say as the bride, come, Lord Jesus, come. Have your way. Set up your kingdom. We are people of your kingdom. Lord, keep us on the path of life. Keep us focused and and, and, and moving towards you, Father. We love and praise you. I pray blessings over all the people tonight. God, bless them as they come in. Bless them as they go out. Father, until we come back together at your appointed time, we pray that you watch over and keep safe each and every person here, including our families who are off. Lord, bless those who are traveling, out hunting, and all the different things. God, keep your hand upon them. There are people, and we pray that you bring us back together at your time. In Jesus' holy name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 Love you guys tonight. Nobody's told you they love you. Your pastor loves you. Have a blessed evening.